Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Rhiannon Lambert. She is a registered nutritionist and founded Retrition, a leading private nutrition clinic specializing in weight management, disordered eating, gut health, sports nutrition, and pre and postnatal nutrition. All that to say, she really, really knows her stuff. And actually, we had our conversation just as her second book, The Science of Nutrition, was launching. And if you ever really wanted to unpick the subject from someone who really has done all the work and continues to do the work, I strongly, very highly recommend it. So I asked her to come on the show because I appreciate her approach to nutrition. She likes to debunk myths because there are so many out there from people perhaps who don't have the same credentials as she does. And she also really wants to empower people to eat well for their health and their happiness. She's also an advocate of exploring our relationship with food and acknowledging that in addition to feeding ourselves to stay alive, we eat for enjoyment. But there can also be other reasons that influence the way we nourish ourselves ourselves and in some instances not all but in some instances those reasons may need some support and or understanding from someone like Rhiannon and that's what she does at her clinic so during our conversation Rhiannon and I discuss a lot trust me it's a very broad conversation we discuss things like the things you'll never hear a qualified health professional say and spoiler alert one of those things includes going on a detox we discuss why there's no diet that will do what healthy eating does and yes there is a difference why being literate in calories might take your eye off the other elements of nutrition it's good to be knowledgeable about without getting things over complicated we discussed the book the science of nutrition uh, which has a really brilliant Q&A format and she explains why that was so important to her I also asked Rhiannon about the negative emotions that can be attached to food and my experience of binge eating disorder and how that really skewed my relationship with food and how I fed myself and felt I felt very um felt 
not very good, shall we say. We'll talk about it in the episode. She also shares exactly why there's no one-size-fits-all approach to diet and trial and error is the way to find the way of eating that suits you best. And listeners, I managed to shoehorn in Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Beale in Blade Trinity. And I'm not sorry about it. You'll understand when you get to that part of the show, but um, it's all about how actually achieving these physiques that we think are perfect or optimal actually are not and can actually uh, make you not feel that good so anyway that's all in there including the reference to ryan reynolds your welcome listeners all the links to rihanna and the book her socials her podcast etc will be in the show notes but for now please do join me in welcoming rihanna lambert onto the emma gunn show well this is wonderful welcome to the podcast rihanna lambert how are you Oh, I've just been buzzing to speak with you, Emma. I feel like I've wasted a lifetime. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're here too, because you're a registered nutritionist. Like, I mean, and listeners, uh, just in case you don't know what the breakdown of that means, she really knows her stuff. And you're also an author. And yes. your area of expertise is sort of food, nutrition, education. But what I really appreciate about what you do is you look at it from all angles and you understand the emotion that goes into how we feed ourselves, why the fact that it can be so complicated. And is that what got you into nutrition in the first place? I mean, I love that you just brought that up as an initial thing because nutrition is so much more than just what you're putting in your mouth, essentially. You know, nutrition affects us on a chemical level, an emotional level, a spiritual level, um, societal norms it's it's huge and it can have an impact on our physical and mental health so it is such an important factor and I definitely was not always into nutrition I think my journey really began as a soprano so my history is um I'm a professional singer that's what I what I did and I retrained in my early 20s in the world of nutrition because I'd been led down a very disordered um belief system of what food should be, what the purpose of food is for, how food is all just about aesthetics was the thing that was drummed into me. And ultimately something to be restricted, something to be feared. And I'd come at food from a completely negative angle and re-educating myself and going to university, I can hold my hands up and say it probably saved my life. It probably changed my entire outlook with my relationship with food and made such a difference to me. In the music industry, it's quite toxic, I have to say, or it was back then. This is a good 10 plus years ago I'm discussing when my career started as a singer. And I think times have hopefully got better <laughs> in that respect. Wow. I mean, that's a that's a big thing to say that you think it saved you. But yeah. I mean, because it's making me think about Alice Living because she had a similar thing, didn't she, in the performing arts and then had a focus of food that she now looks back on and thinks oh I see that that wasn't necessarily balanced but has obviously it seems like there is a little bit of symmetry there in terms of oh, realizing so yeah yeah a hundred percent I think the language I think the access to so, so you've got to remember back then when I was signed to record labels there was no Instagram there was no Twitter it was just Facebook and we didn't have the bombardment of which which there are pros and cons for let's face it of social media that we have today you know we, we didn't have 
access to health professionals like myself online. You'd have to be on a waiting list with the NHS for such a long time to get access to any help you could afford. Mm. So we're in a very privileged, but also confusing and also dangerous area of knowing who to trust, where we've got so much information out there. Um, So there are pros and cons to that, I will say. But back then, it, it was just what you read in glossy magazines, which we all know is not the advice you should be taking sorry <laughs> yeah not sorry the one sorry for contributing to that actually I had a stint of working on women's health and that was my dream job I think I I was there I was only covering a role but I was there for a few issues and I remember on the second issue thinking we're contradicting in this issue what we said in the last issue and suddenly sort of joining the dots and thinking mm, not sure yeah. not sure how helpful that is But um, I also wanted to touch on something else you said there about restricting food. And for me, it was almost as though I would have looked at someone like you and thought, oh, she's she's tamed the beast or she's won the battle. It was about getting one up on food, getting one over on it and sort of um, beating the system in Mm. how you could eat. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean... Food takes a shape and form of everybody that has a disordered relationship with it in a different sense. You know, that inner voice, we call it um, in the clinic, the nutrition clinic, we work with this a lot. And for some people, it is a little bit of a willpower challenge, which is destined not to work anyway, because you can't overwrite. It's got nothing to do with your willpower. It's, it's a biological urge to eat food. You know, food is a basic human right. And when you restrict it and you begin to delve down that pathway, your body will start telling you eat food, eat food. It will be all you can think about, all, you, all encompassing. And then before you know it, and I can see you nodding, nodding your head along with me, that's what happens. People end up in this very vicious, toxic um, nutrition dieting cycle. And that's the problem is that people see nutritionists or people like myself as the restriction police. And, you know, oh, nutritionists just eat salad all day long and leaves. And that's what we do. Whereas our battle every day, if you could be a fly on the wall in our clinic rooms, is trying to get people to eat more food. And everyone's got different body types. And we we make assumptions wrongly based on people's aesthetics, their size, their shape, that they're healthy or they're not. You can be unhealthy and be slim and be unhealthy and be a certain plus size. You can be healthy and be a, a bigger size than someone that's smaller than you. It, it just bears no relevance. And the sooner that we remove the association with health and weight and size and shape, it will help my industry, it will help the media, it will help the general public, it will basically work in a nice circle. But that's a bit of a dream, isn't it? <laughs> Is that the knot you've been trying to untangle since you started doing what you were doing? It, it's what made me so passionate about it, I think, from the start. Um And also fighting against the stereotype of the image that I myself held as a health professional. I'm stereotypical white, blonde, female, slim body shape size. And to be heard and to have my academics and the fact that I can actually help people regardless of how I may be judged or appeared as, that was a bit of a battle at the beginning. But over time, when you show people there's another way and you can be healthy at any shape and size and it's unique, it's what works for you. I'm so passionate about it. I think because I've lived it in the music industry and I lived very dark times of food and I've been there having porridge for dinner on the bread line versus, you know, now I'm quite a successful businesswoman. So I've seen a journey and I can see how easy it is for people to get pulled in the direction of 
different dietary habits. And that's why I wrote the science of nutrition. I mean, the first book, Renourish, was very much about your, your journey with food and your relationship with food. And this book is more about remove the focus from a, me as being the health professional, I didn't want my image anywhere on the book. I just wanted to, wanted it to have information about every question you could think of. And I want people to learn everything they possibly can about mental health, about the dietary fads that are out there to avoid the confusion around sugar and all these different topics and be able to apply it to themselves and find a way that works for them. So Anyway, I'm garbling. I'm passionate about it. <laughs> no, no, I garble away. I, I enjoy it hugely, especially when someone is really, really passionate. But well, the thing I appreciated about the book, so it's called The Science of Nutrition. And yes. one of the things I really struggle with, and I'm sure listeners may feel the same way. Some of you listening might feel the same way. I've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast about food, diet, nutrition, the emotional aspect of it, the just the fundamental aspect of feeding yourself and what have you. And I find it very easy to get lost in the weeds. I find that uh, I'll be talking to someone and they will mention a particular type of hormone or they'll talk about this gets triggered. And I think, <laughs> well, I just, do I need a rainbow on my plate or do I need blood tests? Like literally I sometimes find that I'm just totally overwhelmed and I don't feel any the wiser. And I, I mean, I don't know, obviously you have to do a proposal to write a book. And I wondered if the hypothesis was, can I create something where I simplify all of the science so that people understand that journey and don't get lost in the weeds? Yeah. And I like that expression, getting lost in the weeds. I haven't used that before. And I think that's how so many people feel when they are bombarded with information. And I think that's partly why, I mean, this process for this book actually um, was, I didn't actually have to write a book proposal for this book. I got approached with an offer and it actually turned into me changing what they originally wanted. And then took me ages to agree to it. And I said, look, if it's under my terms and conditions, I will write this book because I think there's so many mis that's kind of how it ended up, which is, they're amazing, DK. It was such an honor to write a book with such an esteemed, incredible publisher. But, you know, they're not nutritionists or dietitians. And they, they themselves thought, you know, they believed a lot of these faddy things that are out there because it's almost ingrained as truths in our society, you know, that all sugar is bad and therefore, you know, low carb diets are the ones that work and always myths and misconceptions. So the reason I wanted it in a Q&A format was to help people that are lost in the weeds. So if you, if you work through the book, it's got so many questions like basic ones. Is it normal to feel like I'm bloated or how many times a day should I fart or you know, these types of that, that is believe it or not one of the questions in the book no, no, I've seen it <laughs> yeah yeah it covers it covers all of it is there an anti-inflammatory diet should I even go on a diet and I've got all these questions what's the truth about calories and it breaks it down into bite-sized easy to understand information that isn't overwhelming it's simple it's straight to the point and concise so it doesn't leave you thinking I need to go and get a blood test right now or I need to go into because actually most people don't the reality is most people do not need to be spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds even we've seen in the clinic on supplements on tests on things like that they just need to understand the basics and and the fact that it's different around the world. We're all, we've all got different ethnicities and backgrounds and genes and DNA. And 
part of the reason I delve into different diets at the beginning of the book that are most researched, like the Mediterranean versus the Japanese versus the Norwegian diet. That was my idea to put in the book. And the publishers weren't sure at first. And I said, look, these are the most researched diets. These are what we're pulling all this scientific information from. It doesn't apply to everybody because the med diet won't apply to people that live over in Asia. You know, it's really different, but they've all got different benefits, like how long people live or reduced risk of heart disease. So ultimately, that's why it's more concise. You don't have to follow it from start to finish. You can pick it up at any time if you've got a question and you're confused about something mm. and you can put it down. And I hope it won't alienate anybody because, like I said, it's not an image-led book. It's a beautiful food photography and scientific diagrams type book. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not like you're the poster girl for this particular no. thing, It's which is which I really appreciate. Also, when I first got it, looked at the index and thought gosh there's only five sections this is a massive book but what you've done is you've actually like right here are the first set of questions let's deal yeah. with those and then let's go for another set so actually yeah. it meets you where you are which has become my new favorite phrase because as soon as you are dealing with somebody who's like I don't need you to be here in order to understand what I'm saying let me come to you I appreciate yeah. that hugely Oh, yeah. You don't have to yeah, go on the journey with the book. It's going in where you're at, like you said. And that's the beauty of it, because the five sections actually have like 20 questions within each section. But you go to the one you need and you don't need to feel overwhelmed. You've read it. You can put it back down. It can go on your coffee table, friends and family that come over. It's for all ages. So nutritional science very sadly has a very bad rep and a very confusing rep sometimes I think especially this time of year that we're recording this episode it's January you know it's Mm. new year it's crazy and when they said oh you're going to be releasing the book you know beginning of the new year I was like oh really you know really you want me to do that (laughs) you know against all the because there's a lot of famous people at the moment releasing diet books and I struggle with that, you know, my ethos and what I believe in my morals, I really struggle with that. And it's hard. Yeah, because there, I mean, I, I just always as a journalist knew that around November, December time, I'd get the press release about the celebrity fitness DVD and the celebrity cookbook or what have you. And I didn't really think much about it until actually at the uh, end of last year, a friend of mine said, it's cashing in on people's vulnerabilities when they are their most vulnerable. And I'd always just thought, well, people think about New Year's resolutions. I hadn't actually thought about it being when you have a weak spot. Mm, yeah, it is. The word vulnerability, I think, rings true with everybody when it comes to nutrition. Um, it's hugely psychological. It's hugely inbuilt in us to believe and have belief systems about food. And January is the time that in society, everyone's like, it's on TV, it's in the magazines, it's every, it's everywhere. It's like, let's go on a diet. Let's put the Christmas eating behind us. And I was thinking my book will never cut through, you know, all of, all of that. What am I going to do? Do people really want to learn about the health? But actually it's shown people do. I think people are equally as fed up as we are and they just need people like yourself to start, you know, promoting and pushing people that want to actually say goodbye to that trend I'm going to call it a trend but it's like a systemic thing um but I'd yeah. like to think it's a trend <laughs> yeah I mean it is and I guess as somebody who has been very vulnerable about this listeners before we started recording I said to Rhiannon I find it really difficult to talk about food because I yeah. obviously have a long um history with disordered eating and I was like trying to scribble down a few words about how I felt about food before I 
did the work that I did. And it was, it was the thing that made me feel bad. It was the thing that made me feel guilty. It was the thing that made me feel inadequate. And it was the thing that made me feel ashamed. And yet I visited it every single day, several times a day. And all every mouthful had those feelings attached to it in some way. And that is exhausting. Yeah, it's, uh, that is absolutely debilitating. It gets to a point where if anyone listening can relate to what you've just said, they should seek help. And, you know, there's lots of charities like Beat that do amazing work that's free of charge. I know the NHS waiting lists are particularly long now, especially exacerbated because of COVID. But, you know, drop the retrition clinic. We have a whole team of dietitians and psychologists on board that can help work on it. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's what's so upsetting, I think, about disordered relationships of food is that it's just a way of coping with something and it's just getting to the bottom of what it is and it can take years. It doesn't just happen overnight, these changes, but it can get better. For some people, it might be months and some people, it might be years. And often the answer for some people is to step completely away from food. You know, I've got a lot in this book about intuitive eating at the end and mindful eating practices. And sometimes it's about letting go. So if you find yourself feeling like you described that Emma that it makes you feel bad that you know it's something that you're dreading or you're thinking ahead excessively the night before what I'm going to eat the next day and it's it's all consuming those are huge red flags for me when it comes to disordered relationships with food and you really want to be I'd say cutting out those people that make you feel even worse about it or trigger it you know if you've got friends and family and the language that they use around food that's a conversation that might need to be broached um you know social media just remove those accounts that you find triggering they pop up everywhere and they're probably on your phone or computer because of the searches you might be doing if Mm. this is anyone struggling listening they're probably popping up left right and center um and it doesn't have to be that way because it can get better totally just before christmas i did it i posted an instagram picture to it's a picture sharing website, but to flag up an episode that I'd done, because a lot of people had asked me about how I had dealt with my eating issues. So in the episode, I'd gone to great lengths to talk about the emotional changes, where I started at, how I've moved forward, the mental changes, et cetera. But on a picture sharing website, the only thing I could really adequately show was a before and after. And I said, I know this is not ideal. And I had a couple of messages from people saying, I follow you because you seem quite measured. This has really triggered me. And it's a real minefield because you don't want to trigger somebody and upset them. And by sharing experiences, there will always be people it will help and always be people that it won't. And I think that's the real um, crux of understanding. Like you said at the beginning, you know, I'm quite open and round about nutrition. There is no one size fits all. Everyone will have a unique relationship with it. There's no point in pretending that a diet is going to work for everybody or a way of you know showcasing and anecdotal experiences can be so motivating for some people to show that you know you can get through it this is how I did it but for others yeah it will be triggering and they need to go on their own journey and in that time it might not be the right thing for them to be reading about someone else's experience and and that is the way often it goes and the reason I've never once shared my diet on any of my social platforms or what I do ever is because I know that it's from a position of responsibility I don't no one they can hazard a guess but I don't think I've ever declared what I eat or do, I've never done what I eat in a day or anything yeah, no. I think it's hugely irresponsible for someone in my position as a registered nutritionist that people look to for food to say this is what I do because they may try and follow it or find it triggering it's it's an interesting conversation that one I think to have it is but I also think uh 
and again, I'm asked the same thing. Well, what do I eat in a day, et cetera, et cetera. What am I, and I'm some, I've shared some of my favorite recipes, but I think the only reason I've made the progress I made is because I figured, I figured it out for me, which again is another huge part of your book, which is, it's not one size fits all. You have to figure it out for yourself. And so as you say, it would be irresponsible, but I am glad a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned beet because I didn't realize. So that's the beet eating disorder uh, charity. Oh, uh, it's a charity, isn't in, it? Yeah. yeah, and in America, it's NEDA for people, N-E-D-A, that perhaps are listening there, yeah. I will put the links in the show notes. I didn't know until well after, and it was only when I spoke, spoke to Dr. Rupi Orgula that he said, have you done the questionnaire on their website to, to kind of help guide you as to what your yeah. food issues might be? And I didn't know, and I'm curious, because you do have an incredible clinic. It's a very busy clinic. I just assumed that I was greedy, had no willpower. And again, that's where all the shame and whatever came from. I didn't realize until I started doing my research and I spoke to the guys at Beat that actually this, the majority of people who struggle with some kind of eating disorder issue fall into that category that can look like greed or lack of willpower. And actually there is help. Yeah, eating disorders come in all shapes and spectrums and to label one person as simply the most common eating disorder discussed is anorexia and you're thinking well I don't fit into that category but I'm not bulimic so I'm not fitting into that category so what am I orthorexic am I just driven to eat pure healthy there's all these different definitions which actually are not helpful a hell of a lot of the time and we find that in the clinic it's someone's been labeled or they've found themselves thinking that they're not worthy of a diagnosis. It goes both, it goes both ways. The diagnosis can be helpful, but equally it cannot. And therefore that's why you have to see a health professional or get the right advice. Like you said, you did it and you realize you weren't alone, which is a huge realization, I think, for people with eating like any form of disordered eating or challenge around that area. And then it's realizing as well that the behavior that you've you've got ingrained in you and the, the beliefs are just learning to untangle your whole belief system is hard I mean if you think you've got no willpower and like you said use the words I'm just greedy or you know I'm not deserving they are really self-deprecating things to say about yourself to start to work on that is a huge challenge and that's why in the clinic we always work with a psychologist together with the nutrition professional our job as, as health professionals is purely to make sure you're getting enough nutrients so you're able to cognitively think through things clearly because if you're not eating well and you embark upon psychological therapy it's not going to be that effective they need to work together to enable you to to get better there's so many anyway it's a very complex area it's very complex and it's very brave of you Emma to share that with everyone because you know there will be people listening that probably feel just as you did Well, do you know what? I only share because I wish I had heard someone say the words and maybe I did, maybe I wasn't ready to hear it. We can go down that route as well. But um, yeah, if, if my my description of how I felt can maybe help someone figure out where they are and maybe use the resources that I suggest and they'll feel better in a few weeks or a few hours time, um, just from having a conversation with someone on one of uh, the helplines or what have you, then great. That's why I do it. hundred percent. And if you suddenly have like a hallelujah, you know, moment, and that's something, you know, that I felt that I've put a page in the book on eating disorders, because 
again, I had to push for that with the publishers, but I'm so glad they, they were so amazing. They listened to everything I wanted to put in. I said, it's irresponsible to release a nutrition book full of nutrition information without putting this page on here about disordered relationships with food, just so people know that there's somewhere to go if they feel this isn't right. Mm. I think there should be warnings everywhere, but it's going to the right people. The worst thing that listeners could do is to go to your influencer that says they heal everyone's relationship with food and they mean the worst thing is I know they probably are coming from a very good place they genuinely might believe that they can do that but actually there's it's so complex like you will spend seven plus years training to as a health professional to work with people with poor relationships with food because it's just endless it's hard and I know because having interviewed lots of nutritionists lots of dietitians and I know there are lots of different grades of it all of them require a huge amount of time spent in school before you're let loose onto the world. You still, it never ends. It never ends. And you're not allowed to be a registered nutritionist or dietitian unless you do endless amounts of study every year that you can prove the hours you've done. And I'm basically never going to stop studying my entire life, which half of me loves. And then sometimes, you know, now I'm a mom as well. It's always other challenges. It's fitting it in. It's a little bit more difficult. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> Yeah, we never end. <laughs> School is okay. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to um, something that uh, you, we've already said it on the podcast. We've talked about the fact that there's no one size fits all approach. And essentially for everybody, it is going to be about trial and error to figure out the kind of diet. And by diet, I mean, way of eating yeah. that best supports you. And uh, listeners, I said beforehand, I feel like the trial and error is where I went wrong for so many years, but mainly because I was trialing and erroring lots of different fad diets, which is not a way of eating. <laughs> which is what a lot of people do, because that's what you read about, right? It's, mm -hmm. oh, fasting's the new way to be healthy. Therefore, I'll trial fasting for a while. Whereas what you're actually doing is completely confusing your body. Your body is like, what is going on? Because you're trying so many different things and you've got no continuity and your body thrives in a way off routine that works for you. And like you said, that's the hard bit. A geeky, a geeky little fact I have to throw in there because I was listening to, I think it was at King's College London. There's some more research being done at the moment. And um it's on how people responded to fruits and chocolates and things. So you could have a couple, a husband and a wife, and the wife may be able to eat this chocolate without having an extreme blood sugar response, whereas the husband would do. And the same would go with grapes. You know, the husband would have a huge response to eating grapes, whereas the wife was totally fine. So it just goes to show that you know, foods that are labeled as good or bad, it just isn't that simple. It, it doesn't work that way. Some people are those people out there that could eat bowls of ice cream and just not have that response in their blood sugar levels. Whereas the next person it could do. And the same goes with how calories enter our bodies. It, it, it's such a myth that calories are everything. They're not accurate. It's an estimation. It's a number. Of course, the concept behind them makes sense. You know, we need to eat energy because we need to get going every day. We need to wake up. Our brain needs to tick our heart needs to you know beat everything needs to work it needs energy but to simplify it into numbers in an item of food to me is so absurd as a nutritionist it's like 
how on earth can you just look at a piece of bread and but this is what disordered eating does again but how can you just look at something as 100 calories rather than looking at it as fiber and nutrients and deliciousness and that's what you get back with a good relationship with food you look at food with a different pair of goggles on or glasses and you, you just see it differently once you get to that point which is so possible yeah we're all unique and it's absurd to think that people have tried and made a hell of a lot of money out of doing it on telling people that there is one size fits all. It's a joke, really. It's an awful joke. Well, that's where the billion dollar industry, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it basically. And like, yeah. oh my that's... God. Yeah. It's the same as the supplement industry. I've got some pages of supplements in the books because there are genuinely, there's a need for supplements. There are some really good, important ones like vitamin D, folic acid, um, you know, a vegan multi or omega-3. But there's a whole array of unnecessary, unregulated stuff that you just don't need. I'd much rather you just switch your bread from your white slice one day to brown and then have white again the next. Just it's yeah, it's mind blowing. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, okay, I have definitely done a lot of trial and error with fad diets and I always come back to the same way of eating and truthfully I don't look the way I want to look and I don't feel the way I want to feel what would be your the pillar the foundation that you would like them to lay so that they don't ever feel as though they're on rocky or uneven ground with this first of all it's okay to I use the the 2a kind of thing to accept and acknowledge and we do this a lot in the clinic you know acceptance and acknowledgement that it's actually okay to want to make a change as well. And this is where in society, a lot of people saying, oh, it's, you know, you don't need to lose weight or you don't need to do this, but it's up to you at the end of the day, what you do with your body. And, you know, you can do whatever you like. If you want to embark upon a bit of um, body, I call it body fat loss, not weight loss, because some for some people, it might actually benefit their health. There is that element to consider. And if you do want to make lifestyle changes, perhaps you're living off caffeine. This is so common, you know, you're knackered you're having like five or six I mean we've had extreme amounts of caffeine come through the doors in the nutrition clinic and it's not making you feel good anymore you need to make a change and making a behavior change is hard and you need a plan of action so my advice to these people that want to really make a change is to do it small and steady don't just go cold turkey on the caffeine or whatever the crux may be maybe it's the constant chocolate cupboard everyone has a place in their house that's quite linked I say it's linked to childhood you know every Friday night you get takeaway or there's one cupboard where you always keep you know the crisps and the chocolates and everyone knows where it is so every time you walk past it you'll go in you're (laughs) do you know what I mean I think everybody I just it's I would say 90% of our clients over the last six seven years it's probably been yeah there's one of those cupboards but it's, it's starting to accept that it's okay to do that. But let's think about what you can put in most of the time rather than starting by cut, cut, cutting. Mm. So the best thing your listeners can do is think, right, what can I implement that's a good habit rather than take out a bad one, first of all, and then slowly work on reducing the cups of coffee a day and the ultra processed foods. Start with breakfast or start with dinner or just start with a snack or one more glass of water a day. Anything, small, steady, what you can do. Yeah, because you know what? Um, and it was only recently that someone said this to me. I was trying to explain why I used to always have this mindset of January the 1st, I will eat this way, which will be perfect. And I will be in the gym every day and it, it will be perfect. And you would never have an Olympic athlete start their training 
doing their gold medal winning time. They work towards it and there are changes and that. So I think that's how we have, we have to stop being so hard on ourselves and being like, you're going to be perfect from tomorrow. That just sets you up for failure and then makes you feel terrible about yourself. There's no such thing as perfect and failure is how we learn. And what's worse is that it's almost as if because we put this false perception on perfection, like use the example of sports nutrition is very calculated. And, you know, when we work with a lot of our athletes, we've quite a few Olympians in the past few years, and it's so different. It's so calculated and they would never dream of going through an extreme crash. You know, they, they need their consistency and their continuity and they need to be able to enjoy themselves otherwise it because they can't stick at something that's not enjoyable and then it's like we do have this thing in society where we think oh you know celebrities have chefs every day that cook the meals three four times they probably do but you know they may not be happy and there's a, there's that way of looking at life as well I feel like I've veered off topic of your question completely there but it, it's just very um refreshing to hear this discussion even take place because perfection is where we go wrong we should never be striving for something that doesn't exist and life is too short and if you allow yourself enjoy things in moderation that's something that's a line from my TED talk actually I remember saying if you allow yourself things in moderation you're less likely to overeat or binge on them that's science that's fact that is life who wants a life without chocolate forever if that's your vice or if you love a glass of wine at the weekends, why are you trying to cut it out? Why not just try and look at other areas you can work on instead? As long as it's not excessive amounts of alcohol, I have to just caveat there. It's not healthy, it's not healthy but within reason, you've got to look at your life and look at it as a big, a big picture, not just a small focused thing with your diet. Speaking of people being miserable, I will always remember because I love the film Blade Trinity. Um, this I is- haven't seen it. It's an old film now and it's actually, it's kind of not amazing, but that's what makes it amazing. Okay. Um, uh, I'm sharing too much about myself. Who's who's in it? Wesley Snipes is Blade and uh, Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel are. Oh, one um, of those types. And they both trained. And because I'm such a geek, which I love being, I watched all of the DVD extras because it was a DVD <laughs> extra when it came out. Yeah. And it and it went through their training program. I think, I think Ryan Reynolds got down to something like 5.1% body fat or something crazy. Mm-hmm. And he was asked how he felt. And he said, I feel as though I've been run over every yeah. single day by a very, yeah. very big truck. Yeah. Like, it's hard work. It's, it's just not natural to be that low body fat. And that's the image that we saw for so many years, which dates back to what we were discussing at the beginning about there was no social media sharing or behind the scenes things. If you didn't watch those DVDs, you would just assume that that's what people should look like. And that's the ideal of healthy. It's so restrictive. And, you know, I cover menopause and periods and things in the book as well. And the importance of our body fat levels. We're, we're meant to have fat. We're not meant to look perfect. We're meant to have cellulite. We're meant to have wobbly bits. And, and it's just the way the human race is designed. Uh, it's, it's just such a shame that, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When we get to that extreme restriction, and I would question as well, because one of the protective mechanisms of starvation in our body is to give us euphoric feelings as well. So sometimes when people report they do these extreme diets, they're like, oh, I felt amazing. That's why it's their body protecting them from the damage that it's doing. It's like a psychological mask. Oh my gosh. Your body's yeah. actually making you go a bit high so that you yeah. <laughs> because yeah. actually what's really going on is so terrible it's bad yeah isn't I mean it's amazing our body is so clever but that's what made me think of that if that's what Ryan Reynolds is saying you know because he would have felt horrendous but then somehow the adrenaline would have pumped him through and he'd have had a protective mechanism but that is oh it's dedication it's like the Bridget Jones kind of scenario you know that the perception that she I mean, that's a whole other topic that's Mm -hmm. so off topic, but there's so much wrong with it now in today's era where I still love the film. Don't get me wrong. I love Bridget Jones. I do. But I can pick it apart now with a professional head and think, "Mm, how toxic, you know, there's a lot. I remember reading that book and then watching the film and in both the book and the film, they explicitly share her weight. Yeah. I mean, in the book, it's kind of it's on every page pretty much. And I, and she's complaining about her weight. And I read it thinking, I haven't been that weight since I was about eight years old. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't feel that's achievable for me. And it's now really difficult to hear you say that that's the barrier between you and, and the life that you want. Yeah. 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 It's, it, and again, it's how women are viewed in society versus how men are viewed in society. I don't think men, I mean, they do now with body image, but I do think there's always been this perception for women to shrink down. You know, women need to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and men need to get bigger and leaner and bigger. And it's just so warped. And what about people that don't identify with these two genders? What does that leave them? There's, it just to me, I find I'm loving this conversation. This is so in depth. It's gone way deeper than I thought we were going to go, Emma. <laughs> but I'm pleased. I'm thrilled. <laughs> if only the book, you know, I had to keep to the science of nutrition in the book, but there is the underlying tone that I put throughout that it, there's something wrong with society and the way that we have manipulated and shaped it and the way we view everybody. It shouldn't dictate health. We need to keep the health conversation very separate from yeah. this strange, toxic thing. Yeah. That is everywhere. Well, I mean, okay, Jessica Beale was also in Blade Trinity. Who knew that we were going to go in depth and we were also <laughs> going to talk about that film so much? But I guess I had this warped perception that if I was eating correctly, in inverted commas, and working out appropriately, I would end up looking like her. That yeah. is not genetically, physically possible for this five foot four body. <laughs> No, no. And then there's the whole abdominal. Do you remember when there was a time time when everyone wanted Britney Spears abs or, um, you know, whoever the celebrity was? She at the was time. 20. Oh, my gosh. Well, when she brought out Baby One More Time, because that's the I'm a Britney Spears fan. She uh-huh. was 16. Yeah. And I just think you were 16 years old. 
Anyway, the Britney's a whole other topic, but it is, again, just a reflection on unrealistic ideals in the world that aren't representative for different colours, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. It just doesn't represent, it represents just like that 1% that are like that. It's awful. I was a big Christina fan. I didn't take sides. Okay. I like them both, but I was a big Oh, but Christina her voice fan. is yes. I mean, insane. the stripped album. Thank you very much. Yes, agree. But the thing that I was most jealous of was not her range. It was the fact that she was tiny, <gasps> tiny. And I remember distinctly there being either, I think it must have been on MTV, somebody commenting on her at a red carpet and the VJ saying, how does she even have room in there for her internal organs? Because she was whippet skinny. And I remember thinking, just being jealous of the fact that her internal organs must be tiny. Oh gosh. Do you see? You see, this is this is it. This is the problem. That was the era. And and now, in a way, you know, we've gone all, we've got to have big bum and you've got to have voluptuous curves. And not everyone's designed like that either. It's so mind-bogglingly. I can't even speak it's just numbingly frustrating um and I find this conversation stems into nutrition so much because when I first started as a clinician a lot of the people would say oh well I want to look like so and so we'd get I'd turn away models from fashion week after I'd learned my lesson after seeing one um and they would always it would always be around the time of London fashion week that they would try and book into the clinic um I didn't know the first this is a gosh this is going back it was so dangerous what they wanted to achieve and I felt so uncomfortable I was like I just can't I can't do this because for you to achieve this means you do have to go on some crazy I won't say what it is but extreme mm. diet in order to achieve what you need to achieve which isn't sustainable and will cause you a lot of health problems and this is not safe so count me out but that's what happens or did happen. I think they're finally accepting in that industry. It's not my jam at all. I know Lisa Snowden talks about it a lot sometimes and she talks about the menopause a lot and the effects on, you know, the female body cycle with all this up and downing. It's very worrying. And that's why I wanted the book to just bust these myths and just really get to the bottom of the fact that it's not right and that you deserve to know. And the problem with nutrition is it's either a huge textbook that's overwhelming, that's full of academia, that isn't appropriate for the general public. It's just huge and no one wants to read it. Or it's glossy and it's small and it's, um, hey, look at me with the bowl of food and this is how it should all be perfect. And I was getting so frustrated. I was like, there's no in between. And that's why the science of nutrition is there because that is the bridge, the gap. That's the goal. Um, yeah, I got, yeah. No, no, because it's true. If you understand it, if you understand what you're eating and what you're putting into your body, then you are informed. It's like, if, like, if, if no one tells you how to manage your money, you might have some under the bed, you might have some in a pocket. You you didn't have, you know what I mean? But maybe that's a bit of a random example, but it's. No, I love it. I love it. It's good. (laughs) It's a good example. Your investments are not in the right place. How can you make a good choice? Exactly. And I, so this actually brings me on to a point that has been lingering with me for a while because I, for the last, I would say little while, I have been really aware. I found actually controversially calorie counting did help me get on top of my relationship with food simply because it it helped me understand the value of what I was putting in and Mm. portion sizing not that I was sticking to like seven calories here and 100 there but it can be helpful that's just it you just need to understand that 
you know, an avocado is a healthy fat, but yeah. therefore it may have more calories than um, something the same size as an avocado. You know, it's something that basic. It's actually yeah. information that you then get to, but you need to know the context. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So we're like, right, okay, so that's a high calorie view, but it's really good for me. So I will have it. I just won't do what exactly. I normally do, which is stand at the fridge with half an avocado and a load of Tabasco sauce and eating it with a teaspoon. Oh, that that's an interesting combo. Never so had that. Delicious. Oh, <laughs> just take out the seat, just take out the pit, throw in like some Sriracha or Tabasco and go to town. Maybe with wow. a bit of sea salt. Um, anyway, but <laughs> the thing that I think has confused me for a long time, which I'm really trying to get my head around now, in order to eat smart, and I don't know how you feel about what I'm about to say, is to just get a sense of my macros. Because I think that is important too, but I also find it incredibly confusing. Well, this is again where... Okay, so the again, I break down the macros, but your macronutrients are your protein, your carbs, and your fats. Now, there's data that some people will thrive off high protein diets, other people it will do nothing for. Some people need higher percentage carbohydrate diets, other people do not. This is the problem again, but you need to understand why they're so important for your body. But some people, again, will need more fats than others, and they're not really accurate calculations when you're macro counting. But you do need to understand what percentage of your plate works for you, like, or even know where your carbs are. I mean, do you, ha- you should have carbs at every meal. Um, that's, that's what your body needs to poo, to have a good digestive system to actually function. And a lot of the time that can be lacking, or you find that it's just too carb heavy, a big problem with westernized diets. And I, I have a whole page on what actually is a poor diet what is defined as a poor diet because I think that's confusing and it is one that could be very high in refined carbohydrates high in salt high in sugar high in saturated fat and low in all the good healthy fats and the other things that might have a higher calorie count but a less ultra processed so you need to understand macros but I'd never advise for people to count them physically because that's just impossible to do to get an accurate measurement yeah but it's good to know what your food is. Well, what are you putting on your plate? Where's your protein? Because that's important for your cells. Well, I was talking to Dr. Gabrielle Lyon before Christmas, and we were talking about this in relation to skeletal muscle and longevity. Yeah. And especially for women, it's so underestimated. Yeah. And as a woman who's in her mid forties now, I'm really mindful of the fact that entering perimenopause, like muscle Mm. is going to be incredibly helpful for me. So it is important for me to train resistant, do resistance training, and also support that by making sure that I'm eating enough protein for me. And one of the things I said to her was I'm pretty literate in calories. I don't need to take a tracking app out. I think most women have a Mm -hmm. pretty good idea of the calorie content of food. They can probably eyeball a lot. Some more literate than others, obviously. And I said, but I am illiterate in protein. I I couldn't eyeball anything and tell you what. Do we have to do do that to be able to go on the journey that you describe in the book and the, the trial and error and finding out the thing that works for you? Do we have to become a little bit more literate in some things that might take a little bit of learning we just need the education because with macros you don't need the numbers but you do need to know what your food what your food is it's just a basic in my opinion it's a human right to know that beans contain protein and fiber that that should everyone should know that it's things like that that I think are so important like on my plate and 
without protein, you're not going to be able to build any muscle or maintain it. So it is important. Most people do get enough. I will say protein isn't often the worrying area. However, if you're a plant-based eater or you've got different dietary requirements, or like you said, you're interested in the menopause and you want to make sure that you're maintaining as much muscle mass as you possibly can, your diet will be important. So if you don't know what to put on your plate because you don't know what's in your food, what are you going to do? And that's why, you know, if you do start at the beginning of the book, I'll explain to you the different building blocks of protein. Yeah, the amino acids and the diagrams and how to build those and where to get them from. So if anyone's nervous, like, oh, I don't really like having to count, you don't. But you do need to understand what food choices are out there for you. You know, even yogurt is a good source of protein and you know you might enjoy a pot of yogurt here and there or have it on your (laughs) breakfast in the morning it's just even oats contain some protein as well you know some vegetables do so it's it really is important but we have knowledge is power and without being obsessive it helps and that's the thing is the obsessive thing and I just to recap on that point when I have tried to do my reading I'm like yep protein I kind of I know I kind of know what that is roughly speaking you're right it's in things that sometimes you may not know it necessarily assume that it's in but then amino acids and I'm like okay I think they're the building blocks long chain amino acids I don't know anyway and then someone will say something like I think it's mTOR and I'm like right I'm out I'm gonna go and watch Real Housewives Yeah. And you don't, you don't need to know all that. This is what I mean is that people do not need to be living their day-to-day lives thinking how many amino acids did I, did I have leucine in this? Did you know, did I get all my different chemical names? Just get variety. I just think we lack variety and it's because we get stuck in a rut or, you know, we go to the same sandwich place every lunchtime or we have the same breakfast every single morning. And therefore we're not getting the variety of protein we could be getting in our diet because we're eating the same food. And to get creative, you need to understand what's in your food. It all comes back to this education means you can be more creative, means you can experiment with what more you can add into your diet. It doesn't have to be expensive. Frozen foods are great. Canned foods are great. It's it's there for the taking. It's just that society dumbs it down to not being relevant and all being about calorie counting or, or being about you know, over-exercising. And, and in fact, if anyone's looking at making a change to body shape or size, we know diet's more effective than just hitting it out at the gym hour on hour every day. If you haven't got your diet sorted, it's just not going to be conducive to anything else. So exercise, mental health, happiness, longevity, diet, everything, basically. <laughs> There's so still so much that I want to ask you, but yeah. actually um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, there are so there are literally so many things, um, but actually, you did a really interesting post, and I always try to leave listeners with actionable or really helpful nuggets of information that will sort of hopefully sit in their brains and help them moving forward. And you did what I thought was a really helpful post about the things that you will never hear a health professional say. And again, as you say, with the timing of this episode, it's the beginning of 2022. It will be they're all things that contradict very loud messaging that we hear at the beginning of the year and um so I'm going to ask you about detoxing and cleansing oh okay yes (laughs) of course you are um well where would you like to where would you like to start I guess the fact that you it's a there are two words that I think have lost their meaning as well and are thrown around without the realization of the seriousness that they can have associated with them as well. You know, you might see your favorite influencer celebrity say, oh, I'm on a detox now. I just feel like I need to cleanse. I just feel, you know, it's it's that association with, 
I feel a bit lethargic or I feel like I've eaten, you know, Christmas is that period. And these two words are so associated with what you do post-Christmas. First of all, your, your, your liver will detox. It's what it does every day. That's its function. <laughs> it's the perfect organ. Um, you can read more on the book on if you want to go into the details of detoxification and what, what it's for, what it extracts and how it works. But essentially cleansing is a load of nonsense. Um, you, you can't cleanse your body. It, it, it's a feeling I would associate cleanse as a word used to describe how you feel and then I'd associate detox as a word used to action what you want to do and those are the two things people use incorrectly at this time of year there's no need to go on a juice cleanse there's no need to go on some and I know it may feel tempting because you might feel oh, I really want to feel better I want to feel like I've got control I want to be controlling my action now and I want to feel like I'm doing something good for my body but actually it's just money down the drain and your body's going to suffer for it. Your digestion will especially suffer for it. And some of these things are dangerous, Emma, like the pills that are on sale on the internet, the products. I remember going on TV on, I can't remember, was it Joe Lice? I think it was this com comedian, Joe Lysett, and we did this TV show. And, oh, she was hilarious, the comedian, Joe Joanne, that interviewed me about these products. I don't know if I can say the name of it, that you, you buy like drinks that turn bright pink and then you mix it up and you drink it and then you wait for hungry all day because it's you know like oh. a diet yeah we were discussing all these awful products they're all out there to take your money and this time of year they're rife because they kick into your feelings and your emotions and your control mechanism that every human being has those natural instincts to want to change to take control and they want to do it now but they're not the answer did that explain it yeah do you know what it's making me think about um every January I used to get on the scales and be unhappy with the number that I saw and I didn't have a rational response to that number surprise surprise no prizes for that one listeners but so what I had was a knee jerk I want to fix it immediately and that's where the cleanses yeah. and the detoxes and the teas and the what have you get you because at no point whereas now for example came back from Christmas got on the scales and thought oh okay put on a few pounds that I wasn't, I mean, I knew I was going to put on some weight because I wasn't going to not enjoy myself. But I immediately thought, well, I know, but in two weeks time, that'll probably be gone because I'm going to go back yeah. to a, a sort of habits. Exactly. But I didn't have that in place. So I used to every time, not just on the 1st of January or at the beginning of the year or whatever, every time I suddenly became aware of what my weight was and I didn't like that number or I didn't like what I saw in the mirror, it would be, what, what can I, if I just lost half a stone, if I just lost a, then, 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 then I would, I'd have the momentum and then I'd be really disciplined. Mm. And that is such a horrible place to be mentally. And so many are there. And it's always the number that was lowest in your entire life that you want to reach again, that we see in the clinic. It's what number have you seen when you were a teenager that for some reason we think is still acceptable when we're in our forties, fifties, sixties, we're actually meant to put on weight as we age, believe it or not. We're not meant to stay the same number our entire lives and we will fluctuate in the summer versus the winter, but yeah, we don't have the rationale. Like you said, it's instinctive. It's almost like I'll feel so much better if I could just get rid of those few pounds and then I'll, then I'll feel happy. Yeah, but it's a strange, it's a shadow mask again for our underlying not knowing what makes us happy and what we need. It's, it's that's it again, deep stuff, Emma. It's deep stuff. <laughs> we, we can go, we can go deep. Uh, we'll do a whole special episode, a deep episode with Emma and Rhiannon. 
um again this is going this might feel like I'm just like pulling the pen out of a grenade with my teeth and throwing it through the zoom screen at you but I just want I just want to ask you this how do you feel about processed food I mean I think first of all scientist to my head processed food is actually a lot of food that's very good for you you know a can of chickpeas is processed um the frozen veg because it's gone through a process to get into the packet and be cut as processed food and that's very good for you a lot of the food we eat is processed because we don't grow it at home and we don't pick it from the garden and we don't put it on our plates so that's my initial reaction but my knee-jerk thought is well the general public see processed food as you know mcdonald's takeaways and chips and fast food basically but that's what i would call ultra processed food okay again i break that down inside the books, you can understand the different processing food goes through. I think I used the example of potatoes. I can't remember what diagram, I remember drawing it out. So we had the potatoes and they either go through deep frying and then they go through slicing and then there'll be added preservatives or flavors to mimic a reaction in the brain that makes you think of something else. And companies are very, yeah, companies are very clever. So there's certain flavorings that can trigger nostalgic responses, which makes you eat more or trigger reward centers in the brain. You know, we've got all that research. What's going to make you pop till you can't stop kind of thing. Yeah, isn't it like the shape yeah. of the molecule or something in the mouth? It make, means that you want more. Like it, it's that granular. It's that scientific. It's food science. Yeah. Um, which is why, sorry to interrupt, which is why the idea of willpower is a nonsense because nonsense, yeah. it's like these scientists have made yeah. these products. Um, if I say addictive, am I am I using it's too? It's not quite right. Word? It's not right. Yeah, because we're not addicted to food. Because you know, like you are, if you're a drug addict, that's an addiction. You know, you won't get withdrawals in that way. But it's a strong, similar pathway. I would say it's a similar pathway to an addiction one because it involves a reward response. It involves pleasure. It involves emotions, and they've created the perfect. Let's take ice cream or cake as an example fat and sugar scientists have studied for years and years in laboratories to know and watch the reward centers light up in your brain when you combine those two items together which is why cream and sugar and ice cream is just perfect and the same with a cake you're mixing the butter and the sugar together and that raw cake mix is the tastiest thing in the world just as much as when it's cooked and icing is amazing you know this is and it is to be enjoyed but it's not technically part of what we're evolutionarily meant to be having in our diet all the time which is why ultra processed foods have posed a problem because the evolution of our society is meant we have more access to things that should be enjoyed items in moderation and they become everyday items in excess that's the balance shift and it's getting a balance that works for you doesn't mean you shouldn't have them it's just we consume we over consume this is on a sustainability level now yeah on a planetary level, we've got to make changes. There's, there's a lot that needs to change. Yeah, I think that's the thing about processed food is um, it's a much bigger conversation than just, is it, it good is. for you? It, it's yeah. Is it good for the planet and what have you? That's just made me think about what we were talking about, about the, the feel of things and the taste of things. I spent Christmas with my family and my brother and I have very different ways of eating. And by that, I mean, he's never had an issue with food, weight, anything. I have. And when I, I was watching him, when he eats food, I would say every mouthful is probably the same size, same number of chews. It's very functional. Whereas, so if I was to give him, I was like, hey, do you want to share a bounty, whether you like coconut or not? He would take his half of the bounty and he would just chomp probably three mouthfuls and forget about it. I yeah. would nibble off the outside bit 
then nibble off the top bit, then nibble off the bottom bit, and then eat the coconut. The so I'm having a completely different pleasurable experience with this bounty whereas he's just having a functional yeah I'm going to eat a bounty one two three mouthfuls what is that about I love this this goes into the there's a so there's a genetic component to this that's being studied and researched now and I spoke about it on my podcast with Professor Giles Yeo who's a Cambridge um, geneticist yes and he spoke about the fact that um, you know some people always have that last slice of cake you know, they won't stop at just the one. They always have to have the more. They just love it. So they're enjoying it. Whereas some people are so nonchalant about food. They just, it doesn't trigger anything, doesn't do anything for them. They eat it because it's a necessity. They don't actually have that emotional response. And some of that can be a genetic element, what you're born with. Do certain genes have shown that we are more predisposed to that? So there's other genes that show that some of us are more programmed to overeating than others. Then there's the way you're brought up, the nature nurture debate. But in the case of you and your brother, you're brought up. I don't actually know. I, pres- I presume yeah, if I had to make together. an assumption, most families brought up, you know, your siblings are brought up together and therefore you need the same diet for X amount of years, the same environment. Yet you both have very different ways of looking. And it's a very nature nurture debate. This it's also evolutionary. So there's elements of anthropology here when we look this brings me back to my uni days I remember this module thinking why am I studying this at the time we were looking at tribes like the Hadza tribe over in Tanzania I think and we were looking at the way they eat and the way they've evolved and it's the survive and thrive it's a thrifty gene it's you know people that are programmed to give it to me now might survive longer than those people that just don't have that urge that survival I will eat what's available and around me now to keep me going in case of a famine so it comes from an evolutionary aspect a genetic aspect a nature nurture debate then there's science we don't even know about yet that's psychological that's being looked at it is fascinating but doesn't it show how complex nutritional science is we don't have the answers so complex which is why what I eat in a day is not a good nonsense absolute nonsense but yet it's viral every time these influencers do it (laughs) um I know that we're coming to the end of our time together but I do want to ask you if you wouldn't mind now cherry picking what's the one thing I don't want to leave listeners without and actually I'm going to choose mental health and the idea that you can fuel yourself or you can feed yourself in a way that will support not just brain function but also your mental health and I think as somebody who struggled with depression when I struggled with depression I, I I did a lot of eating the middle of donuts thinking that I was being saintly over the sink I hasten to add um because I wanted that hit I really wanted that hit of sweetness but obviously it wasn't it wasn't an act that was serving me particularly well can you eat in a way that supports your mental health and your outlook on life so the, the positive the positive answer before I say how complex this actually is that the positive bit is that we have studies and I think the smiles trial if anyone wants to look up the smiles trials I think Professor Jacka led those it's the most fascinating area where researchers have shown that depressed um, individuals in this study it was a very good study randomized control which means in scientific worlds it's like gold standard stuff that's so a good one and um, she showed that it's more effective eating a Mediterranean diet than taking antidepressants on treating people with depression. 
hugely groundbreaking this research it was huge um it's mentioned in the book it's fundamental showing that if you eat a better diet and when I say better I mean don't think about what you take out just add in some more omega-3 adding some more fiber adding more fruit and vegetables that contain lots of color because the color contain the antioxidants the polyphenols which affect your brain in a different way and then we've got also research and I've written a lot and researched a lot on the aging brain and how our brain is impacted by what we eat as we age and the links between dementia and Alzheimer's so the more we protect our brain through through diet the more we are protecting it also from other chemical imbalances then there's the complexities that depression is a mental health illness we don't have all the answers researching the brain is very difficult we know diet can help but it's not the overall answer for so many people medication is definitely a must for so many people it's so important I never want to say that food will replace medication because it doesn't have that power but this study did show that in some individuals it was just as effective so it goes to show try and implement a healthy balanced diet which you can read about in the book it will help but also look at the other areas, look at support, look at your lifestyle, look at the therapy aspect, just look at movement, exercise also has huge benefits. And when I say exercise, I just mean getting out and fresh air and going for a walk. You don't have to go to the gym. And exercise does not release endorphins, no matter what people say, it doesn't work like that. It, it affects something called ectocannabinoids in the brain. So it's like this different response, which can help with us feeling good. So it's not quite going to be an instant endorphin hit, but it will make you feel better. So building blood pathways, the more we move, the better we eat, the more connections. We actually build capillaries when we exercise as well. So we're building more blood vessels. We're enabling reactions to take place. Without getting scientific, food and mood are hugely interlinked. I would go on about the happy hormones, serotonin, and the fact you can get that from your gut and food. But just to keep it simple, it's complex, but you can do something and it will help. Well, if you'll indulge me, when I had, when I was struggling, I went and had gut analysis and I'm, I'm, my recall's not amazing, but I think there were three particular things that had to be present in my gut in order for me to be producing serotonin and two of them weren't present. So with serotonin production, production, we know that 70 to 90% is in the gut and short chain fatty acids are produced by the bacteria that live in our gut. There's loads of different reactions. And I wouldn't say we quite have the science to know that much information that alone. So I would be interested to see what tests you did and what kind of thing. I would be really interested. I'm sure there is lots of research there, but to put it on an individual level like that and say, oh, you're missing X and Y, but there are always things you can do in the diet without overcomplicating this conversation to help build like bananas contain serotonin eat some bananas you know there's different foods that you can incorporate the protein if you're not getting enough protein in your diet you're not creating a building block with carbs to create the happy hormone as well so it's a circular thing it's it's very complex but ultimately the better you eat the better the bacteria in your gut that produce those particular elements within your gut, which help produce the hormone serotonin, the reaction up to your brain. Some foods make up the remaining percentage. If your gut's happy, your immune system's happy, they work together hand in hand. You're more likely to sleep better, which also is heavily linked with mental health. Then you're more likely to eat better. Then your gut's happy. And we start the cycle all over again. And we drink lots of water. That's... <laughs> 
that's the goal I've been restricting because I knew I was speaking to you so I'm still at 7 a.m and I thought yeah. I don't I don't want to have to say excuse me can I please go to the bar no I've got a big bottle here as well but I don't have I, my environmentally friendly bottle so I was embarrassed to get it out I was like oh god I've just got a bog standard leftover big bottle <laughs> I'm gonna chug about a liter after we finish this well call. done um, uh, this has been so enlightening and I uh, I'm going to be really forward and say I think you should come back if that's all right and we can really dig into some of the areas that we talked about because um I've I've literally got a quarter of the way down my list of topics (laughs) so there's so much more I (laughs) want to talk to you about um and I hope that if you're listening to this and you have ever felt lost in the weeds when it comes to food and nutrition how to nourish yourself I hope that at least it started to simplify and I do strongly recommend the science of nutrition which I'm holding up just for Brianna's benefit because (laughs) it is about debunking myths and simplifying the stuff that can be really complicated and if you are following lots of people on social media you may think that one day you know it all and then the next day someone will post something that will contradict that and this is just the science and we do love a peer-reviewed double blind study uh, the one that what did you randomized control <laughs> randomized love, control trial we love, love all of those those are our those are our safe words and sexy words so um yeah. <laughs> it's all in there to really simplify so obviously the link will be in the show notes Rhiannon, I've had a ball and thank you so much. I know we've gone slightly over time, but this has been amazing. Thank you. I've, thank you for having me, Emma. Thank you so much. And just to say, you know, I don't know everything, even as a registered nutritionist, I'm ever learning and I never will know everything. So just if anyone's looking for people, just know that they're, they're not going to be the all seeing, all knowing, but we can definitely help in the areas we can. So Emma, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Come back soon. Can't wait. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gun Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.